0: I was at St. Andrew's Parish in Edmonton this week to meet with someone and if you don't know, next to St. Andrew's is a seniors complex directly attached. And as I was finished meeting with this person, I looked up towards the sanctuary and there was one of our retired priests, probably in his late 80s now, and he was sitting nestled in the sanctuary about 10 feet away from the tabernacle, just saying his prayers. And my thought in that moment was, Lord, let me be a faithful priest like him. Or it also reminds me of my grandpa, that even when him and my grandma were in their 70s, every time they went anywhere, he always got out of the car and went and opened her door and faithfully walked ahead of her so that he could open the door to wherever they were going. After 50 plus years of marriage, faithfully serving her every time they went anywhere. Or it also reminded me of Last year on Good Friday, one of our more elderly parishioners who struggled with mobility was in her pew, and one of the ushers came and asked if she wanted to venerate the cross. And she wanted to, and so she slowly walked over to the cross, took off her glasses, kissed the cross, and went all the way back to her pew. Faithfulness. A faithfulness that really can only be exemplified with time. I can't demonstrate that faithfulness. I remember being like two years a priest and somebody at the basilica said, Oh, Father, it's so good to have a faithful young priest. How do you know I'm faithful? I've only been a priest for two years. There's no testing to determine whether I'm faithful or not. Maybe I've been faithful in a moment, but that's not faithfulness. Faithfulness is something that's only determined with time. And yet today we turn to Abraham as our father in faith. And he is kind of exemplified as this great person of faith in this story that, probably for many of us, you've never received a good explanation of why that's okay, that God asked him to kill his son. So, here's a few little things. First, in Abraham's time and place, child sacrifice was normal. Even though Abraham knew God, most of the people believed in God And other gods. It took a long time for the people of Israel to believe in God alone. And so they had still some of this influence of other gods that child sacrifice was something that was okay. Another part was often we think of Isaac as kind of this small little child that Abraham is going to sacrifice. But when you read the scriptures, Isaac carried the wood up the mountain for the burnt offering. Isaac was old enough to know what was going on. Isaac was old enough to say no. Isaac was a willing participant in what was taking place. And then it's remembering what Isaac meant for Abraham, right? God promised Abraham that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then he gave him one son. The whole promise of descendants as numerous as the stars was wrapped up in one son. And think back to just 50, 60 years ago and the reality of children then compared to now, let alone the time of Abraham, where you had greater infant mortality, you had greater cause for illness. And so all of God's promises wrapped up on this one person. And so God asks him, will you return him to me? And if you read in the letter to the Hebrews later on in scripture, the author says this, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. He considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead. Hence, he did receive him back, and this was a symbol. The fact that Abraham was willing to give Isaac up as a sacrifice to God, was saying, God, I still believe in your promise that I will have descendants as numerous as the stars, so much so that I will give up the only heir that I have that makes this possible, and you will make it happen in the way that you need to make it happen. This is why this act and this moment are seen as this great act of faith, because Abraham remembered the promise that God revealed to him, and he remained faithful in his pursuit of living that out. Even when all of the circumstances around him would say, bad idea, this is going to end God's promise. He said, no, nope. God is faithful still. And he chose in faith to follow. See, sometimes faithfulness, one, we think it might just be this moment, but anybody can fake for a moment being faithful. I can muster up enough to just be faithful in this one moment. Or sometimes faithfulness can be almost kind of like this stoicism that I'm just gonna kind of grin and bear it for as long as I possibly can, or this stubbornness that there is no way you're going to change my mind. None of that's faithfulness. Faithfulness is the willingness and the ability to choose what I know has been revealed to be true in my life, time and time and time again regardless of the circumstances that come my way. That's faithfulness. That's what's so beautiful about the elderly priest praying, or the couple of marriage of over 50 years that still hold hands from time to time. It's the willingness to choose time and time again what they know to be true, what they know to be good, regardless of what the circumstances of life throw their way. That's a hard thing, right? But what are we faithful to? Right? We can be faithful to lots of different things. I can be faithful to my daily walk. I can be faithful to a yearly get-together with friends or with family that we meet on this same weekend every year at this particular place, and everybody shows up. I can be faithful to a sports team. I can be faithful to practicing something, maybe a musical instrument. I can be faithful to my spouse. I can be faithful to faith, to God. We can and we should be faithful to different things. But some of us, all of us, struggle with being faithful sometimes. But then there's also the struggle of, I'm faithful to too many things. And what happens when the things that I choose to be faithful to come into conflict with one another? Where I have to choose what I'm going to be faithful to. How do we deal with that? Should we deal with it by, okay, this time I will be faithful to this, and next time I will be faithful to that? Or should there be something or someone that I'm faithful to above all else, and that everything is subordinated to that? Everything comes second to that. That would be the proposal of our faith, is that I don't pick and choose what I'm faithful to to for a time, but that there is one thing that I am faithful to above all else, and everything else comes second to that. Because just pause and think for yourself for a moment, what happens if I try to balance everything that I try to be faithful to? What will happen in the way that you go about your life? Well, if you compromise the faithfulness, well, then it decreases its importance. Or if I try to balance all of them, then none of them take pride of place. None of them become the most important thing. And then what they are changes. If I am faithful to this one person, this one thing above all else, and everything comes second to that, what does that say? about that one person that I'm faithful to, right? Again, just go back to marriage. What does it mean to be faithful until death do us part, regardless of the circumstances? And what does that say for everyone around that witnesses that faithfulness? That's very different. And even if somebody is married for 10 years to one person and 30 years to another, it's still a different thing. Because being faithful to one thing above all else changes everything. This is the struggle of the apostles that we have. Because with the transfiguration, the whole purpose that Jesus offered Peter, James, and John this gift was so that they might be faithful when the suffering of the cross came. That Peter was extremely faithful in this moment. Jesus, it is good that we are here. Let's build tents. I believe You are the Christ. I believe Moses and Elijah are here. Let's stay here. This is a beautiful gift. And they come down the mountain, and they're coming down the mountain thinking, what could this resurrection from the dead mean? And yet when Jesus is rested, and his death is impending, they flee. Any belief and hope in the resurrection for them is gone. Unlike Abraham, who even didn't have... The resurrection of Jesus to hold on to, believe that God, if he wanted, could even raise someone from the dead, offers Isaac, Peter, and James flee. They struggle in that faithfulness. But I always hold on to a quote from Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She says, God does not demand from us perfection, only faithfulness. God does not demand from us perfection, only faithfulness, which is the willingness to choose what has been revealed to be true to me time and again, regardless of the circumstances. Which is why we have our second reading today, if God is for us, who can be against us? That we remain faithful in everything. Which is why part of what we do through Lent is this preparation for the renewal of our baptism promises at Easter this solemn profession and choice for our faith. I choose to believe. This isn't something that I just coast through. This isn't something that's imposed on me. My faithfulness is that I choose to believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, and in the Holy Spirit. My choice in faith. And so as we've shifted to the Apostles' Creed, keep that in mind through Lent leading to Easter this faithfulness that we are striving for in our life of faith, our faithfulness to God. Can I choose time after time to be faithful to God regardless of the circumstances?